Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I, like you, am wondering why I have never received the cinema prize of the French national education system. That's a... Interesting. These references get more and more sort of uh, ornate as we go on. I Josh, this is a tough one, man. Come on. (laughs) You know, give me a a little slack on this one here. Come on. Difficult to be funny about the film that we're about to talk about. So in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we're talking about the films of 2003. And we have arrived at the uh, Palme d'Or winner from the Cannes Film Festival. And it is Gus Van Sant's Elephant, a movie that is not funny. At least I hope people don't find it funny. Uh, relatively depressing film about a school shooting inspired largely by the Columbine shooting, um, although it's not specifically about that. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a rough it's a rough watch. I feel, you know, we've just come off an episode about Geely. And I feel like these movies are are difficult to watch uh, each in their own way. Yes, uh, this is a, <laughs> this is a much better movie, but it's hard to watch. So uh, yeah, and I don't even know if I would say it's a much a better movie. movie. How about that? a better movie? Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get through that. But At least um, as uh, as Jason uh, alluded to, this did at at the Cannes Film Festival, in addition to winning the Palme d'Or, which is the top award at Cannes, as well as the Best Director Award for Gus Van Sant. It won the Cinema Prize of the French National Education System, which I, I don't know if that's something they give out every year. It's a very specific award. Yeah, but, I don't think uh, they do. But, um, you know, as you know, I'm not the expert on can having never won this prize before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have not either. But I mean, in, 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 in looking up info on can for our previous uh, can related episodes, I don't recall ever having seen that. So maybe it was a special prize uh, given to this film, which of course is related, I suppose, to education or at least to to schooling and to how how students are treated uh, and or protected in schools. And that was certainly uh, a major topic coming out of the Columbine shooting and sadly remains so. So this movie also uh, was nominated for two Independent Spirit Awards and, and did decently well for a movie like this, which is obviously a very small film. And as we're saying, a very difficult to watch film. It did gross $10 million at the box office on its budget of $3 million. So, you know, I feel like that's a respectable showing for this kind of movie. You can't really expect more than that. Best foreign film from the French syndicate of cinema critics. Best cinematography from the New York Film Critics Circle. And uh, I think the cinematography is definitely one of the standout elements of this film. It is, yeah. By Harris Savides, who is a great cinematographer who... Uh, passed away quite young, unfortunately, several years ago, but it is very impressive. And it's, it's full of these very long takes that are carefully orchestrated and, uh, certainly are eye catching. Yeah. Hey, Josh, I'm pretty sure this was shot on digital, correct? I I don't know for sure. I didn't look that up, but it's, it's quite possible. I mean, and this is not, this is not an insult to it. But I'm wondering why it cost $3 million. This looks like you could, I mean, you know, you could have probably gotten away with 500000 and made this as it was. Uh, that may be. And I, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, the, the cast is full of these non-professional actors. 
uh, at least as far as playing the the main high school students. There's a couple adult actors that are recognizable faces in this movie, but certainly no one uh, who was super famous. So uh, I don't know the answer to that, whether it was, uh, you know, just the location work or Gus Van Zandt himself or, you know, the cinematographer. Um, it looks like um, this was actually shot on film, though. Was okay, shot well, that, that definitely uh, bumps the price tag up there. So, yeah, although in 2003, I mean, a movie that was shot on digital in 2003 would not look this good. It right. would look like, you know, digital movies in 2003 were like Richard Linklater's tape and things like that which I don't know exactly what year that was, but uh, it was around this time. I that's think. fair. That's fair. Also, you know, you have to have a lot of people in these scenes because it's a high school. So, you know, true, a... true. But I mean, it's still it's still a relatively low budget. And certainly as far as the money that it made back, you know, that's that's a pretty good return. And it was an HBO production. So presumably they got a lot out of it, airing it on HBO uh, following its theatrical release. It was interesting to me to see that it was so highly awarded at Cannes and it got some of those critics group awards and the Independent Spirit Awards, but it, it didn't really become a big awards movie in 2003, which it seemed like it might have been. Um, this is a very polarizing movie, I think. It, there were a lot of really, really positive reviews, but the critics who disliked it, uh, and I think people in general who dislike it, really dislike it strongly. But starting with Roger Ebert, he thought it was great. He was a big fan. He said, Gus Van Sant's Elephant is a violent movie in the sense that many innocent people are shot dead, but it isn't violent in the way it presents those deaths. There is no pumped up style, no lingering, no release, no climax, just implacable, poker-faced, flat, uninflected death. Francois Truffaut said it was hard to make an anti-war film because war was exciting even if you were against it. Van Zandt has made an anti-violence film by draining violence of energy, purpose, glamour, reward, and social context. It just happens. I doubt that Elephant will ever inspire anyone to copy what they see on the screen. Much more than the insipid message movies shown in social studies classes, it might inspire useful discussion and soul-searching among high school students. Uh, I hope it could, and if so, let's show it at high schools, because sadly, uh, we're we're uh, no better. We're in no better shape now with mass shootings and high school shootings than we were when this film was made. No, I mean, if anything, we were in worse shape yeah, than I would say we so. were because this film was made in response to Columbine, which was seen as this like horrifying aberration. aberration. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which is not and not right. the case at all. It took a global pandemic, uh, which shut down schools to stop school shootings. So. Right. Yes. And and sadly, we uh, probably imagine that once schools are open, the school shootings will return. Um, so that's fun. Uh, but I mean, another thing that Ebert says here is he talks about, you know, draining the movie of all of these kind of traditional dramatic elements. And he sees that as a positive. But to me, I, I didn't see it that way. I felt like this movie had two modes. It was either extremely boring or suddenly violent. And neither one particularly worked. That's a fair criticism, but I I think the violence, um, the idea of there's no, um, you know, there's no style or there's no kind of pumping up the violence. I think that's also fair from him. He's say, he's saying we're seeing it in the most um, brutally, uh, just I guess blunt sense, you know. And I think that's fair as well. 
Right. I mean, I think he, I'm, I'm saying he's not wrong, but I guess what he saw as a positive to me, I, I felt like it didn't particularly work, but certainly I think he's right about the way that the movie is attempting to present violence as almost equally as mundane as all of the things that it presents prior to the violence as the sort of like lame conversations that these characters are having or just walking through the hallways. It's, it's on the same level as those things. Yeah, I and again, I'm not I'm not saying this insultingly, but would this would this movie be much different if it was a short film instead of a feature? Yeah, and it's a short feature, but yet it's still probably too long. But uh, more again on the positive note, Anne Hornaday in The Washington Post said Elephant is a small, improvisatory, quiet movie whose modesty and lack of preening self-importance mask what is actually a remarkably ambitious and bravura piece of filmmaking. Elephant takes a giant artistic leap, melding formal experimentation and narrative ambiguity to create what will surely stand as one of the most important movies of the year. What makes Elephant great is that Van Sant accords the narrative privilege most filmmakers would have reserved for Alex and Eric, those are the shooters, to their otherwise voiceless victims. As a piece of fiction, whose discreetly shifting perspectives and looping time shifts make it as complex and sophisticated as anything by Virginia Woolf, Elephant brings more humanity, honesty, and compassion to the Columbine event than any number of maudlin network news specials. And I mean, I agree that this is better than a maudlin network news special, but I I don't know that Van Zandt is really creating this complex and sophisticated portrait of the victim characters. I, to me, it felt very shallow. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing, I think you're seeing them in like their day-to-day activities um, just because it could be any day in any school and any people. Right. So that's kind of the point of it. Interesting that she said it would go on to become one of the most important movies of the year because people know about it, but it's also uh, kind of forgotten, I'd say. Yeah, it was interesting to me, too, even looking at at sort of the praise and Roger Ebert being so effusive in what he's saying about it. And his his review has this extremely long digression in the middle of it where he talks about Columbine and him doing a news interview at the time and stuff that isn't really that relevant anymore to the movie itself, but clearly was something that he was really pondering and whatever. And I thought, oh, this must have been on his top 10 list. And it wasn't. But so it, it's not on his top 10, but it is shouted out in his. um like special recognition section after the top 10. True. But I I think it just shows that there was maybe this, this, this visceral response to it immediately that, that faded somewhat quickly. Yeah. And, you know, as we often talk about, if you're seeing this for the first time in a room with other film goers, I think that would heighten the experience. Yeah, that may be true. And, uh, I, I didn't at the time see it that way. And I, I don't know if you did. I did not. I saw it um, uh, either through DVD or on a cable station when, you know, the, when it premiered at home, I think so. Right, right. So we can't really say and especially seeing it not only in the context of other filmgoers, but seeing it at the Cannes Film Festival where it's this premiere, you don't necessarily know what you're going to yeah. get. And having that that hit you, I think maybe is an impact that we don't we, we can't have anymore. But it certainly hit some people in in the opposite way. Todd McCarthy in Variety was not a fan. He said, To make a film about something like the Columbine student shootings incident and provide no insight or enlightenment would seem to be pointless at best and irresponsible at worst. And that is what Gus Van Zandt has done in Elephant, an art film exercise that attempts to adapt the improvisational techniques of Jerry 
to a more real-world setting, this small-scale HBO film's offering achieves some glancing poetic effects during its first hour, but becomes gross and exploitative during the shooting rampage of the final act. The director's name, HBO imprimatur, and subject matter will inevitably draw attention to this failed attempt to find a fresh method to deal dramatically with a traumatic topic. Mm. And I mean, I think a lot of the negative response is is of the opinion that this movie is insensitive in some way. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it that way, but I mean, it is, look, you, it's so strangely structured that, you know, one thing I noticed on this go around was it's an 80 minute movie and the first hour is just day to day. Oh, you're taking pictures, Eli, isn't that cool? Or, um, hey, my dad's drunk, you know, we got to get him a ride home. Just really, really basic stuff. And the last 20 minutes is all shooting, 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 you know, so, um, you know, which works to shock the audience. But um, it is strangely structured. So I could see how people would think like it's built up to just um, uh, exploit. I didn't take it that way. Did you? Not necessarily exploit. But I, I think as much as this is is theoretically, as as Ebert describes it with kind of without this inflection, it's clearly building suspense in a way. And not only because most people who go into this movie will know what the outcome is because of its reputation, but you say, oh, it's a it's an hour of just the the everyday stuff. But 20 minutes into the movie, we see the shooters walk into the school and then we step back. So even though they're not shooting anyone yet, we know some shit is about mm -hmm. to go down. And so from that, even if you didn't know what the movie was about, from that 20 minute mark until the hour when the really, it gets into all the shootings, you just have that heightened sense of all these, something's bad's gonna happen to these people. And I think that can, can seem like exploitation or like it's cheap theatrics in order to get you to care about this mundane stuff. Yeah. And um, I didn't quote his review, but my, Mike D'Angelo, who is uh, a critic who was a contributor to Las Vegas Weekly uh, for a number of years when I was there, often cites this as the movie he hates the most out of any movie he's ever seen. And um, that is his primary reason for it, is the way that it sort of manipulates the audience with that tease uh, and the way the chronology is is put forward. And, and I think that his response is extreme. I mean, he rates this, he has this, this ridiculous 100-point scale that he uses to rate movies, and he gives this a zero out of 100, which is a harsh rating. Um, and I, I wouldn't go that far, but I, I do think that that structure is detrimental. I don't know how to make this movie, you know, to, you know, any way you make this movie, I think you're going to come away with, People who say, oh, you're brave and you tried to do something and you're going to come away with people who say you're exploiting uh, a horrible thing. And, you know, I mean, I guess you give them credit for trying to tackle a hard, a hard subject with a piece of art. Right. And and I do. I mean, I don't think that this is just exploitation or that this, this is just completely reprehensible. I mean, I, I you know, this is not a movie that was made it with the idea that oh, it's going to, you know, we're going to capitalize on this tragedy. Right. I mean, this was a movie that didn't, it wasn't a huge blockbuster. It's not, it's not making anybody rich or anything like that. So I, I think the intentions are probably in the right place here, but I agree with you. I think, I don't know how you make this movie. And, you know, we can talk about other similar movies when we get to the legacy, but 
this is the kind of subject, and especially making it so soon after the actual incident that it's it's reflecting, it's difficult to find the right way to approach it. So I appreciate the admiration that some people have, but I do also appreciate the criticism of it and and its approach. But was it so soon, Josh? Columbine was what, 99? Oh, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't as soon as it seems to be. Yeah. But but it was maybe it was still fresh uh in people's minds because we hadn't had this sort of constant deluge of these shootings like we've had in recent years. Yeah. So I take that back. I yeah. guess he did take enough time to think about it, but it's still a difficult subject to tackle uh in any fashion. Right. Well, that's what we have to kind of explore here, Josh. Indeed, it's going to be a difficult subject for us to tackle as well. Um, so yeah, as we said, we both watched this, uh, on home video, but I think both of us, you know, Jason, you, you saw it and I did too, right. Uh, when it first came out on home video, not just recent. It wasn't recent. I don't know if it was when it first came out. I do know that like I had known about this movie, you know, like, oh, I got to watch this movie, you know? Yeah. I think I, I was eager to watch it as well. And I don't know if it played in a theater here in Las Vegas, but, uh, I definitely would have watched it when it was fairly recently released on DVD. Um, it's, it's in my uh, uh, records on my Netflix account from my Netflix DVD <laughs> subscription. So that was around when I saw it. Uh, Dave, did you see this when it first came out? Yeah, I did. When it first hit home video, I definitely saw it on DVD. Yeah. What was your reaction at the time? Do you remember? I mean, it's a hard movie to say you liked, but uh, I I thought it was interesting for sure at the time and an, an interesting way to tackle this kind of topic. Yeah. I think Dave brings up a good point because I was thinking about that too. Like, you can think a movie is good, but not like it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like, are you supposed to like this movie? You know? Um, well, I mean, I don't think you're supposed to think like, oh, how much fun no. was that? But you can say you like it in the sense that it's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, and you don't speaking on a subject in a honest way or whatever it is so right that you like to i mean there's plenty of movies that i like that are not fun or uh light-hearted or and then that tackle serious subject matter you know you can say you like this movie it doesn't mean you like school shootings no of course but i'm also saying you can think a movie is good without saying it's a pleasurable experience to watch it or without wanting to watch it again anytime soon yeah true true i mean i think there's a certain pleasure to watching a well-constructed, well-made movie, yes. even if it takes on really difficult subject matter. And, yeah. you know, so there's there's pleasure in that sense. But but certainly this is a difficult movie to watch. And I think even the the biggest proponents of this movie would agree that it's it's not easy to watch. Yeah. So we'll get into that more then when we come back and talk about our general thoughts on Elephant. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 2003. We are talking about the Cannes Palme d'Or winner Elephant from Gus Van Zandt. And as we've said uh, numerous times already, this is a very difficult movie to watch. And uh, I don't think any of us were necessarily eager to revisit this film in terms of watching it. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. That doesn't necessarily mean we didn't like it or didn't think that it was good, but it's certainly not fun to watch. No, it's not. You're getting this, you know, day in the life of a school and all these students and it moves from one to the next. And eventually, like you said, you see these two characters who 
uh, Alex and Eric who are going to shoot up the school. And uh, they do, but not before you still see many different students just kind of going about, like you said, mundane activities. One guy's developing photos and uh, one girl works in the library and um, doesn't want to wear her gym uniform and three girls are bulimic and whatever it is. Right. And I felt that um, there was too much of that, you know, like um, it felt like padding. Right. I get what we were doing, but like, you know, even the first guy we see Jake, right. Like, uh, or John, I'm sorry. He, he, um, you know, after we see his little first story about his dad is drunk and, you know, someone has to come pick him up and, um, he, I guess, serves as like kind of a binder to move into the Eli character. And then he's outside trying to get people to not go in because he knows something's going to happen, which I thought they could have explored that a little more, you know. Um, but yeah, I just thought like it was a lot of like, we have to fill this time before we get to this uh, uh, shooting. Yeah, and I felt like them. the movie opens with that John character and the scene of him in the car with his drunk dad who's uh, weaving all around the road and he has to convince the dad to stop driving and let him drive. And then he goes into the school and trying to call his brother to get his dad picked up. And there was a lot of, I felt like good character detail in those scenes that A, was lacking really in any of the other characters, um, but also made me feel like I could have watched a movie about this guy. And yet we really go away from him beyond those initial scenes. As you say, there's there's something where he is, he's the one who spots the shooters going into the school and realizes something bad is about to happen. But there isn't really much else to explore him as a character. And instead, I mean, I think that's probably on purpose that Van Zant has decided that what he wants to do here is have this tapestry of people, you know? So we have a little bit of this guy and a little bit of this guy and a little bit of these girls. And yet it just, it just feels very glancing and superficial. Whereas I felt like he could have delved into this one character and given me something interesting, but instead, I, and I feel like also, especially in some of those other characters and especially with the female characters, he has a very surface understanding of high schoolers and, and of teenagers. And that, that bulimia scene is one of the worst, like in a movie that's about a school massacre, that bulimia scene is to me far more insensitive and just lazy than the shootings. Well, I mean, it's 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 difficult to speak on because we know there was a lot of improvisation and a lot of these people weren't professional actors, right? So how did they create the characters? Were they basing it on themselves, their friends, whatever? Did the did these girls know other girls who were bulimic, whatever? Um, going back to the John thing, Josh, it was very weird for me that they set that whole thing up. Like, hey, can you get dad? at 1130, like they give a specific time where the brother's supposed to be there. And then we never come back to that. It almost seems like they were setting that up for the brother to be there while the shooting was happening, you know, but um, we never hear anything else about the brother at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I read this somewhere either in a review or maybe in like the Wikipedia entry that it, it feels like as we're watching this movie, it feels like it's a whole day but it actually takes place over the course of like 30 minutes because oh. we keep we keep looping back. And so I think the point of that timestamp in a way is to show you that there wasn't even enough time for the brother to show up. Okay. Yet. That wasn't clear to me. I know that No, I agree. Yeah. I obviously I know that we're looping back and we're, you know, 
because we're kind of um, changing perspectives on the same situations uh, as with uh, John and Eli meeting in the hallway and he takes a picture of them. But um, it was unclear. I thought it was a little longer than that because, you know, we do see Alex and Eric at home get the gun or eating a sandwich. And I wanted to, you know, you talk about the bulimia scene. Uh, what about the scene where those two guys, the two killers, have like a sexual encounter with each other in the shower because they've said they've never kissed anyone before? That was that felt very I couldn't even place that in like in in context to the movie. Yeah, that is a very uh, weird scene. And in a way, it comes across almost like this gay filmmaker is somehow blaming repressed homosexuality for this this rampage, which I'm sure was not his intent at all. Um, but I, I, I feel like it also just speaks to this, this superficial treatment of the way that teenagers are and the, the sort of lack of understanding. And yes, a lot of this was improvised, but it's a very like intricately structured movie. So the, the improvisation has to have been directed by Gus Van Zandt. It has to have been kind of molded by him. And, you know, given a sense of here's where this scene is supposed to go. And I'm sure though those two actors didn't spontaneously get in the shower together and start making out. I mean, that was clearly something that was planned. So I, I think it, it shows that Gus Van Zandt really just doesn't know what he's trying to say about teenagers. Yeah, um, we do our best to research these movies and you know, uh, it's tough to fact check certain things, but I had read that this was based on a short story by Harmony Kareen. And also that Laura Barton, a.k.a. J.T. Leroy, who is one of the producers, wrote the first draft of this script. So I'm not exactly sure how it morphed over time to get to where it is. Yeah, I don't know. I did notice that J.T. Leroy, who, again, is not an actual real person, uh, is credited as one of the producers. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned Harmony Corinne, which I hadn't seen that. But I was going to mention uh, Kids as a movie that is, I mean, is also very exploitative in a lot of ways, but feels more authentic because it was coming from a place at the time of, of Harmony Corinne, who was within that age. realm and, you know, as, a, as the, you're right, that age group and everything, as opposed to Gus Van Sant, who certainly was nowhere near that at this point. Right. And, you know, there's also an idea that there was no script here. And he was just like, let's explore through improvisation. And we've talked about uh, the pluses and minuses of that uh, with different directors in the past. and. I'd say the advantage of that here is like it's very naturalistic. It's almost voyeuristic. You feel like you're watching these events unfold in real time and, you know, that you're there. So like it does put you in that moment. But the disadvantage is like, OK, why am I watching another scene where uh, they're just talking about something that seems to be irrelevant to everything? Right. Or not even talking, just walking long walks through hallways and things like right, that. Right. Right. So. Um, and one of the things I wondered about related to the improv is that, as I said, this is also very intricately constructed in that we're looping back on the same events over and over. And that scene that you mentioned, which for some reason somehow becomes like a central scene in the movie, because we see it three different times of Eli stopping John in the hallway and taking his picture. Each time we see that scene, it's slightly different. And I wonder if that was a product of the improvisation that, you know, we see it from Eli's perspective and then we see it from John's perspective. And I think there's some additional dialogue from Eli. And then we see it from that the nerdy girl character's perspective where she like runs past them. 
And she's not in the background of those other scenes and there's no way we would have missed her. So I feel like that might be a product of him trying this a few different ways and just throwing in all of them. Yeah. But I don't know. I want to get back to that point that you were saying about Mike D'Angelo and exploitative uh, because we see the the Alex and Eric characters at 20 minutes and we know that they're going to eventually uh, shoot up the school. One thing I thought that um, would have added emotional impact is had we not not necessarily just seen that, but had we not cut to their day before the shooting started, like had we just been in it and then all of a sudden gunshot boom, because that's how these things go, right? Nobody knows that anyone's coming in to shoot up school and it's, horrific you know and i think maybe then you could have told their backstory as this was going on and that would have been a more effective way of constructing it yeah and that may be true or even leaving that out entirely because i feel like once you cut to their day as you're saying it it and and you know they're about to shoot everyone that's so much more consequential than anything else that's happened is it sort of undermines the other characters it's like telling you hey now we're at the important part now we're at the characters that that matter and the rest of those characters, we just wasted your time with them. And like you were saying before, that it feels like padding, it feels like filler until we can get to these guys doing, you know, making the preparations to kill everyone. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, what if you showed none of their backstory and the only time you see them is shooting and the only uh, insight to their character you got was during that massacre? Right. And I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, as a critic, one thing you don't really want to do is decide how the movie should have been made. I mean, we can only judge the movie the way that it was made, but it does seem like those were maybe not the right choices to convey what he's theoretically trying to convey. Yeah. And again, who knows if there is a right choice <laughs> with a subject matter like this. And um, I, as I said, I mean, you know, we talked about Harris Savides in the first segment, and we also talked about him, uh, Margot at the wedding when he uh, was the DP there, but like, the cinematography is a real highlight of this film. It is in that, I mean, it's a highlight, I think, as cinematography. And it's impressive to see them weave through the hallways of this school and uh, kind of shift. You know, there's a scene with the three uh, bulimic girls where they're going into the cafeteria and then it kind of moves away from them and captures a brief snippet of another conversation and then moves back to them. Just the way that's all orchestrated, I think is really impressive. But uh, on the other hand, I feel like using those shots is just, it is almost another form of filler. It's like, look at the impressive cinematography because we don't have any actual content well, to show you. Well, yeah, and you had kind of mentioned the long shots through the hall. How about when, um, I think it's Nick, is he's playing like uh, uh, football with his friends and then he walks off the field, off the, you know, and goes through, and, and the sound design is very good there where it's like, hey, now we're in a game of uh, two people playing and now a kid's playing guitar and we cut to this all while we're following him into the school to meet, I think, his girlfriend at the time. But uh, but yeah, I mean, again, what do you do? <laughs> you know, like uh, maybe maybe, you know, with, with Geely, we talked about how misguided it was from the beginning. And I'm not saying this is misguided. I'm just saying maybe there's no better or right way to do this one, you know? Yeah, maybe not. But at the same time, like he decided to do it. So he's opening himself up. To yeah, that, I, right? I agree. I agree with that. So. so, yeah. And I think that that shot that you're talking about is one of those shots where you're watching it and you're like, this is really complicated and technically impressive and must have taken a lot of planning. 
and yet it's also totally pointless. Well, is that, I mean, was it there to build tension? Are you the, are you following these shots to think like, oh, because like you said, we see at 20 minutes, these guys are coming in. Like at one, at one point, we're going to see where the incident happens. Like, is it just to build a tension to get to that point? Yeah, maybe. And I think that that particular shot comes before that 20 minute mark where we see the guys come in. And one other kind of false suspense thing that I was experiencing, and maybe this isn't the case for everyone, and it wouldn't be the case if you went into this movie not knowing what it was about, but just remembering that it was about a school shooting, but not remembering many more of the details from when I previously saw it. The first 20 minutes until we see those shooters, I kept thinking like, oh, is this character the shooter? Is this character the shooter? And that was another way that kind of distanced me from the characters. Well, see, I don't mind that because I mean, now we're leaving it open, which is maybe what it should have been, you know? Um, it's it's a really tough film to, you know, kind of process and unravel. I think we're we're learning. Dave, give us some of your insight. Yeah, sure. I, the thing I was just thinking about, though, that we haven't touched on is the final scene, uh, which... To, to me, uh, almost made me just say, fuck this movie and like completely lost me because I, I'm not quite sure uh, what of his original intent is supposed to be coming across in that final scene. Yeah. And that scene, I mean, spoilers or whatever, but uh, we have uh, the one shooter. I, I, I think it's is Alex yeah. um, who has killed the other shooter and is the only one left. And he corners. Uh, the character that we were just talking about, the football player and his girlfriend, he corners them where they're hiding in a in a meat like a meat locker and is toying with them and presumably is about Nathan to shoot and them, Carrie, I think they're there you go. And um, but we cut away uh before we know whether he shot them or not. And yeah, that that moment feels maybe even the most like exploitation, like it's a, right. a like action movie villain thing that you would do. Right. Cause I'm all for an open-ended ending, you know, where you don't really quite know, but it's like you know, what, what does that add to the conversation? Well, it's not really open-ended because he's pointing the gun and we know he's doing eeny, sure. meeny, miny, mo. And is it like, he's only going to kill one? Is he going to kill one than the other? Is he killing himself? Right. So that's your open-ended thing, but it does feel like he's just, you know, incredibly evil, which you have to be, to be doing a school shooting. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it also just, it, it also just feels like Gus Van Sant like gave up at that point, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what's going to, I mean, in a real school shooting, there's a resolution. The, the shooter mm -hmm. is, is caught, is killed by the police or kills himself. Something happens, it ends. And so, I mean, it just, it just feels like a way I, again, watching it this time, I thought, and because it cuts to this shot, uh, that's a repeat of the uh, shot from the beginning. That's just a shot of clouds. And before the credits started, I thought, wait, no, there's more, right? And, and, and then there isn't. And so it just, it, it feels like a very uh, limp ending. And also, isn't that cloud shot also right before the sequence of the shooting, which I thought was a little too um, predicted or, you know, kind of premeditative, if you will. Yeah, I, you may be right. I, I don't remember for sure. But yeah, I mean, all of it, as much as this is like uninflected, as, as Ebert describes it, it's not. It's very deliberately constructed in a way to, to sort of goose the audience, just not in a traditional sense. And speaking of to, to sort of like rewind a little bit from that final scene, the, the scene right before where he shoots the other guy, I was so baffled by that. Like, honestly, because it's this moment where you're just seeing the, the blonde shooter and he's talking and then suddenly he's killed from off screen. 
And I thought, wait, is there like a police sniper outside? That's what I thought. Yeah. I totally didn't understand that scene. And I had to go back and read online to confirm, no, it means that he was shot by his friend. And so that was a very unclear scene to me. Well, I was clear on that scene, but I'm saying I think that that, that could have been effective or more resonant if they had done that throughout, like as opposed to showing, you know, all of these guys and their plans and all this and that, you know? More like in what way? Like I'm saying, as opposed to showing like, now we're going to drive to the school, then we're going to do this, and then we're going to kill. Like I'm saying, had the first shot just rung out as opposed to like been set up over time, I think it would have been more emotionally impactful and everything. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And certainly that moment is is surprising and is a jolt. And I mean, to me, it was it was also then confusing because after that moment of surprise, I was like, wait, what exactly happened? And I didn't understand. But right. I mean, the idea of it being random and sort of inexplicable goes out the window when we've spent all this time with these guys as they're preparing and we're seeing them again, this kind of basic explanation, like, oh, they have repressed homosexuality. They love Nazis. They're watching this show about Hitler or they video play games, video games. Exactly. Which is, <laughs> I mean, for a movie that is supposedly like transgressive, that was the most basic sort of scapegoat for this kind of stuff was video games. And that, that, that seemed like a very lazy moment. But do you think he was saying, I don't think he was saying anything other. I mean, every kid loves video games, right? And well, I, but we don't see, problem. we don't see other kids playing video games. Do we? No, we don't. I mean, it would it would have made more of an impact if we had seen, you know, say John, the the early the intro character, if we had seen him playing a video game and then later, you know, Not he turns him. out to be the right, he's the one who actually who tries to save people, you know. Yeah, that's but we fair. don't get that. That's fair. Yeah. But but I'm glad more kids weren't watching Nazi documentaries, Josh. Well, sure, but they could have been watching a Nazi documentary in history class. That's I true. mean, you know, yeah. that's something that happens. But they're very specifically not doing that. They're specifically doing it in this way. Yeah. The other thing that kind of, I don't know if it bothered me, but it was just a, felt like a strange choice is the character, I think his name is Benny, who is possibly the only black character in the whole movie. And yeah. is introduced very late in the film with his own little title card that has been reserved for these kind of focus characters early in the movie. But he's it's nearly the end and he's wandering around the school after most people are dead or have escaped. And he doesn't have a single line. He helps this one girl kind of escape and then he just stands there and then gets shot. And no, I wasn't sure what that- he, had, he helps her escape and then he has the choice between escaping himself or going to confront the shooter, and he goes to confront the shooter, and before he is able to do that, uh, Eric turns around and shoots him. I did not get that at all. I mean, he doesn't say anything, and he just kind of stands there befuddled and turns around and gets shot. No, he walks down the hallway. It's, it's back to that hallway scene, because it's where the principal's on the ground and everything, and he's going, and you can see him ball up his fist, like he's gonna go try to punch the guy. So, okay. I mean, maybe maybe that was unclear to you, but I thought it was a clear choice that he made to not leave the school, but instead to go and, you know, try to, you know, figure out what, uh, I don't know, knock out a shooter or something. Yeah, I agree with Jason. I think he was going to try to, you know, help the situation in that moment, but he also just feels like a complete afterthought. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, obviously I missed a little detail there, but if he's going to go confront them, he barely makes an effort before he gets yeah, right. killed. And it, it, it just, it just feels like a wrong choice to introduce this one black guy who never speaks 
nearly at the end of the film and then have him save a white girl and get shot. Yeah, this is 2003. So I feel like cell phones, people would have had them because we did have them in 2003, right? But even John, like why, you know, I get why he was saying, hey, don't go in there, don't go in there. But why didn't he try to find someone who had a phone or or one of the people he found, go drive to the police station and tell him I just saw two people in military fatigues going into the school and I think they're going to shoot the school up. Right. I mean, I think one thing to sort of remember about 2003 is that this would have been a rare thing. Yeah. Now you would know, oh shit, the school is about to get shot up. But that wasn't something that was really on people's minds or on people's radar. But the way he acted was that he knew something bad was going to happen because he kept telling people don't go in there. True, true. Yeah, I mean, you can second guess those motivations. I mean, I feel like by the time you get to that, it's like I'm already sort of checked out of this. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think overall this movie just doesn't work. And it's, as you say, it's tough to sort of figure out what would work. But whatever it is, it's not this, well, I think. did you feel the same way about it this time as you did the first time you saw it? I think I might have disliked it more the first time I saw it. I don't remember specifically. All I have is my old rating from Netflix when I gave it two out of five stars. And, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, spoiler, I'll give it that same rating this time. But I, I, I didn't hate it, certainly. And I, I think I remembered the first time, maybe because in part it was like a big deal and I wasn't looking forward in a way to it. And I thought it didn't work, but I, I, I can't remember for sure. So I think I liked it less this time. Yeah. A little more last time. And I guess since we're rating, I, I would give it, I probably would have given it three then and I'd give it two and a half now and you're giving yeah. it two again. Right. So yeah, I give it, I give it two again. I mean, I think I can, I can sort of respect the intent here, but I feel like almost none of the choices that he makes work. Right. And and we don't know a better way. We're just opening it up to saying like, you know, here's something, here's something, whatever. But uh, right. Yeah. Dave, what do you think? Uh, I'm going with two and a half. I keep going back and forth on it between two and a half and three, but I'm going with two and a half. And I think I liked it roughly the same as as last time. Uh, but I do have one question for you guys, uh, perhaps to lighten the mood a little bit. I don't know. But uh, before we're introduced to the shooters for the first time, uh, why does the dog jump in slow motion? I mean, J- Jason seems to have an answer. No, I don't have an answer. That's okay. in that long tracking shot, right, that we talked about, that yeah. um, steady cam shot. There's no reason. Maybe it's just um, one of the nicer things you saw throughout the day, right? And you would remember. Okay, that's a- I took my dog on a long walk today and we met some nice other dogs that I remember, <laughs> you know, I don't, did it, that would, did that it would be the high point of my day. If that, if I saw a dog yeah, jump, did like it happen that. in slow motion though? No. <laughs> and thankfully there were no shootings. So. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, it's just one of those, like, here's a nice thing. Yeah. One of the nice things of the day. And so we're going to sort of slow that down and emphasize it to contrast with all the terrible stuff. I guess I can appreciate that. Yeah. So we'll come back then and talk about the legacy of Elephant. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we've been talking about the Palme d'Or winner from the Cannes Film Festival, Gus Van Sant's Elephant. And uh, as we say, this is a difficult movie to watch. It's a difficult movie to discuss. And weirdly, 
as much as a of an impact as it seemed to make at the time it came out, I feel like the legacy of this movie is pretty minimal. Yeah, I don't think it, and uh, I wish it did have more of an effect, like we said in the Ebert review, where it would help stop school shootings. But um, hey, look, that's a whole nother conversation about how horribly we as a nation and as adults have done by our school children, you know, to prevent these things. Yeah, it certainly didn't prevent any school shootings. Um, and I don't know that it really even had an impact on the discourse about school shootings. It's not something you really hear come up anymore when people talk about these things. There was, while reading about it, there was uh, one school shooting, I think in Minnesota, the Red Lake school shooting, they were saying this, in fact, uh, at one point, they wanted to put some of the blame on that shooting on this movie because the shooter had watched it like 17 days before and everything. But you can't blame a movie on, you know, someone shooting up a school. So. No, I mean, I think that's the same way that people wanted to blame video games or they wanted to blame, you know, satanic rock music or whatever the the scapegoat of the moment is for these things in, in pop culture. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this is, you can't hold this movie responsible. Yeah. This, um, I, I mean, and I didn't even know this was a thing, the death trilogy or the death tetralogy of Gus Van Zandt, uh, with Jerry last days, this and paranoid park would, is it the, is it three or four of them? That's what I'm confused about. Uh, I mean, I think it was initially those three and I haven't seen Jerry, but I have seen last days. And it, it has a very similar kind of minimalist. Yeah, naturalistic feel to it. Right. And but that is building towards this tragedy. And that's inspired by uh, the death of Kurt Cobain. But again, like this movie, which was inspired by Columbine, but isn't actually about Columbine. That's the same deal with that film, where it's about a similar kind of situation. And it's also very slow and a lot of mundane yeah. things that build up to this moment of violence. I saw that. I didn't see Jerry. I did not like Last Days. It is slow and boring and just keeps like, you know, I feel like, you know, Dave, you mentioned the dog shot. Like, was there a purpose for the slow motion? Last Days, you're getting a lot of artistic shots where you're questioning the intent beyond like, hey, cool shot, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I haven't seen Jerry either. And I saw Last Days probably maybe with you at a film at the Cinevegas Film yeah. Festival here. Um, and I think I was not crazy about it, but maybe liked it a little more than this. Um, I haven't seen Paranoid Park. That's a later Gus Van Sant film. And I feel like he's, you know, since this movie, he's alternated between these very like uh, small scale minimalist artsy films like Paranoid Park and then going back into mainstream stuff. Uh, I mean, the biggest one he's done since this one was Milk, of course, the Harvey Milk biopic with Sean Penn that was a huge mainstream sensation and Oscar nominations and maybe even did Sean Penn win an Oscar? He for did. That, maybe? He did win an Oscar yeah. for that. But I think that was that was not a movie that's mainstream. It just captured a mainstream audience and maybe because Sean Penn. But again, it, it deals with the shooting and a tragic ending, you know? Right. But it's a much more mainstream structure to a film and it's a much more i mean you know it's an oscar bait biopic and maybe it's a good version of that but it's still very much in that mold and he didn't you know he could have made a movie about harvey milk that was in the style of this film or in the style of last days and that's not what he did at all he made it in the style of a typical hollywood biopic yeah i liked milk it's a good movie yeah so. yeah no it's, it is a good movie and i'm not trying to say that it isn't i'm just saying that it's not in this style and i think he's 
He's gone on to make some other very mainstream kind of socially conscious films. Promised Land that he made with uh, with Matt Damon, which I think is just an absolutely dreadful, uh, heavy-handed piece of crap, but certainly has a med. <laughs> like I would, I would almost rather. I mean, that's like the polar opposite of this movie, where everything in that movie is spelled out in extreme like pedantic detail about what it's trying to say about a serious issue. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he also did Psycho as a shot for shot remake. So why? Right. Well, I think that's, he's had a very strange, and I had forgotten his most recent film is another uh, biopic called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot about this uh, cartoonist who was paralyzed uh, with Joaquin Phoenix, I think. And uh, yeah, yeah, Jonah Hill also. Um, yep. Which is not great, but it's very much like I forgot he directed it because it's such an anonymous like Hollywood biopic kind of thing. So I'm I'm he's a uneven director, but I would always be curious to see what he does. I mean, he takes on you, you can't predict what he's going to do next. Yeah. And it doesn't look like there's much. I was reading up about a project of like the new Gucci collection, but it didn't really say much about it. You know, I would recommend seeing the the two breakout films of his. Obviously, we know Goodwill Hunting is his biggest, most successful movie. And um, but um uh, Drugstore Cowboy is a very good movie. I actually haven't seen my own private Idaho, so I'm recommending myself to see that. Yeah, and I would recommend myself to see Drugstore Cowboy too, which I haven't seen, or or my own private Idaho, or really any of those early Gus Van Zant films that got him to the point where he could make uh Goodwill Hunting and Finding Forrester in these bigger mainstream films. So um, yeah, don't worry, he won't get far on foot is from, I think, uh, a few years ago, and I'm not sure what he's got in the works now, but would be interesting. Yeah, and we did mention, I mean, you know, we like to mention these uh, kind of collectives and people who team up for successful runs. Harris Savides, before he died, he did do a lot of uh, cinematography for Van Zandt, uh, Finding Forrester, Jerry, Last Days, uh, Restless, and Milk. Uh, you know, so that's a lot. And he also yeah, shot they, uh, Zodiac, which I know you love. So. Oh, yeah. And the cinematography in Zodiac yeah. is, is amazing. Uh, yeah, Savidi is incredibly talented and and sadly died uh, just like in his 50s. It's, uh, you know, certainly quite young. I thought it was interesting that even though all of these actors, again, with the exception of a couple of the adult actors, all of these were non-professional actors. None of them have gone on to do any kind of anything of note. The uh, the kid who played John, John Robinson, played Stacy Peralta in Lords of Dogtown. And that's the biggest thing out of any of these actors. Most of them didn't act at all. Yeah. Again. And I think that's for something like this. You know, again, if we go back to like kids, the Harmony Corinne and Larry Clark, which was full of these people that they just discovered kind of on the street. But a, a movie like that, that becomes a, a pop culture sort of touchstone or that uh, achieves a lot of attention, usually it'll launch something. And, you know, that movie launched Chloe Sevigny and uh, Rosario Dawson, but nothing from this movie, really. I mean, that guy who played Stacey Peralta, I don't think he's even really been working much. Yeah, that. maybe not. So. so I just thought that was odd because it's not that the acting in this movie is bad necessarily uh, from these inexperienced people. I don't think it's bad. I mean, I don't think you can really judge in a way because you need to see him do other things, right? Right. And I guess maybe they didn't have the chance to do that. I was trying to think, you know, we talked a lot about like, how do you approach this? And is there a good way to approach this kind of subject matter? And I was thinking about other movies that that take on this kind of thing and whether they work or not. A, a movie that I know Dave really likes that we talked about on an episode of Piecing It Together is Vox Lux that, that yeah. takes on this. And, and 
to me, not well, but uh, <laughs> takes a different approach to it. I don't know if you want to say, Dave, what, what, like, what do you think works about the way they handle it in that movie? If you want to say, well, of course, it's just one aspect of the movie. And, you know, is it, uh, you know, exploitative probably, but I think it adds up to a, a bigger, better picture in Vox Lux. It, it adds to the feeling of the movie and to everything that, that comes after it, which there's like a much bigger story involved with pop stars and everything else that this character goes through. No, then that's true. I mean, it's not that, but I remember seeing that movie and being amazed at how much of the movie is about a school shooting that I had not yeah. expected at all. Um, and a very shocking, very shocking, like, version of that for sure right right did you ever see that movie jason no but uh i imagine you're gonna mention one other one that i think we both saw uh okay well i mean what i was gonna mention in terms of something that i think is good is we need to talk about kevin i don't know if that's I, what you were i hate of. that movie oh that's interesting yeah i forgot that you i love that movie i think that movie is great i know i think we watched that together and argued about it i think that was incredibly heavy-handed and um just skirted dealing with the real aspects of it I mean, and I think what's good about that movie is that it doesn't show you the violent acts, that it's very much about the psychology of a violent person and about the people in his life, and that it takes you a while in that movie to even realize what Kevin has done or why we need to talk about Kevin. So I don't, I mean, it's been a while. It's that movie came out like 10 years ago and I think we saw it at the time. And so I'm, it's not fresh in my mind, but I remember thinking that movie was really effective. And I just thought it was horrible. At one point, I will say this and you know, um, at one point I was trying to work on a concept about, um, you know, a family of a school shooter and what happens. And then they move away to a new town and try to start over. But you can't really start over. And I definitely was not uh, uh, either talented enough, mature enough or able enough to write that script. So, yeah, it's diff- I mean, I'm sure you're not the only one that would have a difficult time trying to figure that out. I mean, it's tough subject matter. The most recent one, there was a film uh, just this past year called Run, Hide, Fight, which I did not see, but was very controversial and takes this almost like action movie approach to a school shooting and was very polarizing and politicized and ended up getting picked up for distribution by uh, the Daily Wire, the conservative news website. Fantastic. And they they took that movie on. But I mean, it was a movie that premiered at the Venice Film Festival and it has recognizable stars in it. I mean, it was a legit film, but that took the uh, approach of, hey, you know, we should, students should be fighting back and that's the way it it should go. No, I don't mind that. And I would be interested in seeing it. It's just that once you said the Daily Wire took it, it it makes me think it's probably not going to be. Well, right. And I mean, and I think that was, that was part of what happened with it is that it became this political thing and they took it on because they, they saw it as sort of an expression of this conservative value. And I haven't seen it. But that is certainly the most recent. And I think that is, in a way, it points to the difficulty of taking on the subject matter is that you take a certain approach to it and it, it takes a, on a political tone, whether it was intended to or not. Yeah, uh, there was like a dark comedy that I had never heard of until researching this. And I should have wrote down the name, but it's tough to figure out any type of tone, whether it's, you know, trying to be serious or dark comedy or anything with this. It's freaking horrible. Let's also not forget about uh, Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. Uh, the song? I didn't know that yeah. was that was, uh, that was uh, Yeah, you better run, better run, faster than my bullet. Uh, That's, oh, yeah. you know, that whole song is about. I thought, that. wasn't that about, because aren't Pumped Up, like, sneakers? Is it yeah. about, like, somebody being yeah. jacked for their sneakers or something? 
No, nah, I believe it's about a school shooting. I'll, I'll mm. take your word for it because I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> I just assumed that. So don't forget about Foster the People and Pump. Whatever happened to them? They're they still around. I do not know. Yeah, they're still Are around. They? I feel like they had another hit or so. So All right. Get it, get it, reach out. Uh, send us an email, Foster the People. That was who it is? <laughs> Foster the People? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right. Well, on that note... <laughs> that is Elephant, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com. Do we even need to talk about it, guys? Uh, AwesomeMovieYear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Josh Bell hates everything.com. Also, probably not worth talking about. Uh, you can also find me at Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. And don't forget to check out our produced by David Rosen Patreon. That combines great content from Awesome Movie Year as well as piecing it together and my music career, all kinds of stuff over there to check out, including the bonus episode of Awesome Movie Year on Purple Rain that was recently posted. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, fun talking about Purple Rain, so hopefully we'll get some more patrons on the Patreon. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, Jason, what do we have in our next episode? Josh, we finally get to move on to a lighter subject, the (laughs) Vietnam War. An awful <laughs> government. Uh, we're going to... Hey, it's an Errol Morris movie, and it's about time we cover Errol Morris. It's The Fog of War. So tune in next time for The Fog of War, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.